G3 Assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career, right where you are, right now. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. Coming up, after dealing with him at the commentary table on Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, I thought I was finally free of him. Unfortunately, he followed me to my podcast. Byron Saxton is the guest as ATB starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and I am sad to announce that we have officially reached the bottom of the barrel here on After the Bell. I'm kidding. That was dripping in sarcasm. This is actually something I'm pretty excited about. My guest this week, despite the awful, terrible things I say about him on a regular basis, on television, and basically any other platform I have, he's one of my dearest friends, and it is my honor to have him as a guest on After the Bell, Byron Saxton. This is a blessing. This is a blessing on your life. We are a duo that's inseparable. I thought my introduction was sufficient, but uh, if you want to say that you're blessing after the bell, thank you, Byron, for blessing after the bell. <laughs> we can we can do a little myth busting today. Myth, uh, okay. All what right. I'm that's most excited fun. about is that uh, anytime anybody has seen you and I together, whether it be on Raw or SmackDown, NXT, or any other of the numerous shows we have done together, we are at each other's throats like cats and dogs. Uh, more so me being the dog attacking you at any given opportunity, but this might shock the world and let a lot of people down. That's not how I actually feel about Byron Saxon, the human being. So I'm actually excited to have a conversation because you don't do a lot of these interviews and media things. I I was going to let you know, I've never done a podcast my entire life. So this is a new realm for me to dive into. Well, I'm taking the risk all upon my shoulders and you're either going to crash and burn or soar like an eagle and become a much highly desired podcast guest in the podcasting world. We know it's one of two outcomes. So at least we know that for sure. That's it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I listen, since this is the first time you, uh, you have a long form platform to chat. Let's start from the beginning. I know a lot of these questions. So forgive me if I'm uh, asking them that they've been asked before, but how did you uh, arrive in the wild world that is WWE? Oh man. Uh, like a lot of us, this was my dream as a kid. Ever since I was four years old, I was beating up pillows. I was making wrestling outfits out of my pajamas and watching WrestleMania and said to myself, I want to be a professional wrestler. I want to make it to WWE. And from there, I, um, it's funny. I, <laughs> uh, back in high school, I was what you would call a, a dirt sheet writer. Um, oh. uh, now, well, <laughs> now the truth comes out. But hold on, I never saw myself as that. But you know, I had just gotten on the internet. It was like uh, 1997. I got AOL. You know, and of sure. course, you know, you start entering the chat rooms and learning about the insides of of sports entertainment. And uh, I started my own wrestling newsletter called The Wild House of Wrestling. And um, my pen name was Mark the Wild Child Kate. Because you know I have a wild side to me. (laughs) (laughs) Mark the wild child Cade. Yes. Yes. Good. Okay. I can't promise that's not going to be exploited in the future. (laughs) Hopefully not even by me. Someone's going to listen to this and hopefully that's going to take on a life of its own. But no, I was very proud of it. It was, uh, I I guess my social life kind of suffered because that's how I spent my Friday night every week planning out uh, 
this newsletter. I had a whole staff of writers essentially all over the world who I just met online and they'd have different roles to fill on my staff. I ended up making connections to interview guys in the business who I grew up watching. So that became my indirect education to what our industry was all about. And from there... So, so let, me ask, let me ask you, how, how back in the, in the infancy of the internet, uh, I remember the AOL days very well, uh, how did you make these contacts with, and, and who were some of the first people that you had a chance to talk to in the business? More so independent guys. Okay. And, and, you know, everybody knows somebody. So then, you know, some guys had official websites or I, uh, you know, I remember going to an indie show and meeting Bill Alfonso. Okay. <laughs> you know? And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, buddy. Yeah. You can interview me. You know, and then um, I, I forgot how it happened, but I ended up getting in contact with Harley race. I think I contacted his school at the time in Missouri okay. and um, got his number. And he was gracious enough to give me a phone interview. And so a lot of times I would connect with these guys and, and conduct phone interviews. And then, like I said, it would just kind of do- have a domino effect and translate to no- other people. And it just kind of built from there. While we're reminiscing about the early days of wrestling on the internet, did you ever encounter or belong to what was then known as an E-Fed? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> because I remember these. <laughs> yes. And, and there was something that I, I was interested in and I may have partaken at times. It was essentially fantasy wrestling. You would create a character and, and write promos and then somebody the booker, whoever that might've been, which is probably some kid that was like half my age would decide who would win matches. And it was like this, the the infancy of fantasy sports kind of, so to speak. And I I hope that's probably a thing from a bygone era, but that was definitely a thing that I spent time doing in, in like high school, maybe middle school. Yeah. So I did that, but prior to that, and you might be familiar with this, uh, it's an organization that's still around, I believe. It's called the Imaginary Wrestling Association. Was it the one in the back of the magazines? Yes. 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 I did that once. I did that for years. (laughs) So, and and funny enough, I actually, um, I had a couple of different wrestling characters in there. And uh, I ended up bringing the name Mark the Wild Child Cade into one of these leagues. (laughs) And his valet's name was Melissa. So it was like a spinoff. And I brought that. I ended up being one of the, the commissioner of one of these leagues in the IWA. And so the Wild House of Wrestling newsletter became the Wild House of Wrestling report in, say, like the Rough House League or whatever league I was in. Wow. And, and from there, then I actually started doing some of the EFED stuff, which wasn't as exciting because... You know, I was doing the IWA stuff back in elementary school. So once a month, you'd get this bulletin in the mail and you see if you like, you had to strategize which moves would be worth the most point totals. Right. Yeah. There was a list of like a hundred moves and you had five of them or so. I remember that. Yeah. So if you act and they'd have a whole like live event report, you know, so-and-so beat so-and-so in Poughkeepsie, New York, and here's your record and here's how much money you made. And then if you actually won a title, oh my gosh, that made my month. So walk, walk me through the, the next step into your uh, arrival into this insane business. Funny enough, I was, I was running the Wild House of Wrestling newsletter and um, one of my friends, one of my best friends at the time. She had a uh, friend from college who actually had started working with a local promotion. So I got in touch with him, our mutual love of wrestling. And he's like, uh, hey, man, can I write for your newsletter? So he starts writing for me. And then uh, in return, well, one day he's like, you know, we're trying to come up with these new characters who have like a creative control kind of authority in the league. And I, I need someone else to do it. Hey, would you be willing to come in and, and do that with me? So that was my introduction to working for this indie promotion, coming in as sort of a commissioner type character. And then it translated into me kind of working behind the scenes, um, then doing some ring announcing, commentary, and eventually like stepping in the ring. And- so before you, before you stepped in the ring, though, correct me if I'm wrong, you had a television 
job and experience outside of the wrestling business? Yes. Uh, so prior to joining WWE, I worked as a news reporter, traffic reporter, and sports in Jacksonville, Florida. Were you also Mark Cade on Jacksonville News? I, I was not. However, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's always a however. So when I started doing indie shows in our local Jacksonville market, sometimes I would do shows. The newscaster. As a newscaster, but it also went from Mark Cade to Michael Cade oh. <laughs> in wrestling. So some shows I'd compete as like Michael Cade. And they're like, wait a minute. That's not your name on television. Why are you Michael Cade here? And like, I had to explain the whole backstory and it just got more complicated. But yeah, I was, I was doing that. I was working in television news and... My news director was extremely gracious to me because she allowed me to work like a Sunday through Thursday schedule, which gave me my, my Fridays and Saturdays off to still work indie shows. That's a dream job when you're on the indies. Seriously. I was like, just do my, like, whatever you do, like, let me have Saturday off and we're yeah. golden. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd be, you know, you know how it is. You're, you work a show, you get in late night, the, you know, after the show and you get a couple hours of sleep and then it's off to go report in the field. <laughs> So, so when did the, the WWE contact first happen and how did that come about? So, of course, I'm sure you remember the Tough Enough franchise. I do. Synonymous I would be WWE. remiss if I didn't admit that I did at one point <laughs> submit a tape. Well, I, that's where I was going with this. So All back right. in college, for the second Tough Enough, I submitted a tape. No response, whatever. Fast forward to when I was actually working in TV news at the time, before I became an on-air talent... Uh, I was working as a uh, production assistant. At the, this was around 2004-ish, and they started the Million Dollar Tough Enough. So I sent in a tape for that, and I actually got a call. And they're like, hey, we love your promo tape. We want to have you come out there. So I was like, sweet, this is it. Like, I'm finally going to make it. And uh, they fly me out to LA. We do the tryout on Venice Beach. And uh, it was a two-day tryout. And funny story about that. At the time, I was wearing contacts. I've since been lucky enough to have Lasix, but uh, at the time, I was I was wearing contacts, and I don't know if it was just the contacts being outdated or whatever, but I had an eye infection from the contacts. So, like, I would wear them one day, and the next day, it'd be bloodshot red. So, I knew uh, going into this two day tryout, I'm like, okay, I can only wear my contacts one day, so I'm going to do one contact and one eye. And then if I make it to the second day, I wear a second contact in the second eye. <laughs> so, so I'm doing the tryout on Venice Beach. And, you know, unfortunately for me, I didn't make it to the second day of the tryout. But basically, I did my first tryout with WWE half blind. Amazing. From there, uh, I had another tryout in 2005. This was in Daytona Beach. It was before a uh, live event or house show at the time. Uh, it was only a handful of us, probably eight to ten guys and girls put us through the ringer. And again, another opportunity, but it didn't shape out the way I wanted. A year after that, I ended up doing an indie show with Bill DeMott. Now, Bill at the time had just left the company because Deep South Wrestling, which was the you know, previous no, no, sure. territory, yeah, sure. they had closed down. And uh, Bill was at the Tough Enough tryout. He was at the tryout in Daytona. And now we just happen to be working the same indie show where in Daytona <laughs> a year later. So he's like, Hey, I remember you like send me your stuff. I was like, okay. All right. So like I sent him a DVD of like all the stuff I've been doing, whether it was like wrestling, ring announcing commentary. And then a couple weeks later, I get an email on MySpace. Wow. From somebody in the office. And they're like, Hey, we got your stuff. Uh, we want you to come up to Atlanta. I think the pay-per-view was unforgiven that year. 
went up to uh, to TV, uh, spoke to John Laurinaitis, who was head of talent relations at the time. And then we had a, a second meeting in Orlando at, uh, I think it was a SmackDown taping. And then that's when I was offered the deal to join WWE. So you, you were signed potentially as a wrestler to begin with. This is where yes. I can relate to you on the, the highest level. You, you proceed to join WWE as a competitor and actually partook in some of the earliest days of NXT. Well, yeah. I mean, FCW. <laughs> well, no, no, be, but be, this is the game show era of, of NXT, yeah. correct? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When you had uh, Yoshitatsu as your pro, mm-hmm. who surely taught you much about the business. Uh, to this day, uh, I call him uh, uh, Master Tatsu because oh, he has imparted an incredible amount of knowledge on my career that I still utilize every single day. And I credit my nearly 13-year tenure in WWE partly because of Master Yoshitatsu. Tatsu. So, <laughs> thank tremendous. you, Yoshi. Tremendous. So you you mentioned FCW, and uh, obviously the WWE Network recently did a documentary piece about the the wild world of FCW, and and uh, what was your experience like down there? Uh, I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. I remember my first day coming in. I had my last match on the Indies, uh, probably a week before, and against my better judgment, I tried this new move, which was like it was like a modified running X factor. And I ended up pulling my groin. And it doesn't even sound safe just yeah. by you describing it. I mean, it why do you modify an X factor? It's fine the way it is. I mean, it was like you're coming off the robe and then you kind of rotate your body. And I remember telling the guy I was working, he's like looking at me. He's like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'll be fine. You know, and it wasn't so fine. So I remember like hobbling into FCW the very first day feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. Like, and I just got started. <laughs> like, I, wa- I can't even walk. And I'm going up to Dr. Tom and I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, I got a little tightness here, but I'll be fine. And so we're running through drills like the first day or two. And immediately I get out of the ring. <laughs> you can't go. And you know how it is. It's all out of love. They want you to be smart about it. But right. of course, we want to impress. When I met you, when I first arrived in FCW, you were kind of in the transition period. Walk me through that from your perspective. I obviously have my story. Mine's been pretty well publicized about being injured and having to learn a new role. You experienced something very similar. Walk me through that. Um, And again, (laughs) I've never really talked about this uh, publicly. 2012 was my final match in NXT. We had already transitioned, of course, from FCW. And at the time, I had been in developmental longer than anybody. I was there Mm -hmm. for five years and change. And this was a time where, again, there was a lot of transitioning happened from FCW to NXT. We had a new coaching staff come in, Bill DeMott, funny enough, (laughs) um, had come back into the fold. And... I gather just from the outside looking in and using what smarts I have, I guess. Um, I think the new administration probably came in and went, okay, who do we have on our roster here in developmental? How long have they been here? What's their right. career trajectory? And that uh, ended up translating into a phone call that I received one day from talent relations and um, someone else uh, in a higher up position will say. And I was, I was basically told, listen, if you would like to continue your professional wrestling career with this company, that may not be possible. But if you would like to pursue something else behind the scenes, then you might still have an opportunity. And that was that. You know, so I trying to be a smart, forward-thinking businessman, I said to myself, well, I'm not opposed to learning a new skill. Mm-hmm. And and part of that is my faith and just you know, letting God kind of take control of my life. And I knew. Look, I still wanted to wrestle. That that bug never goes away, as you know. But uh, I said, I mean, it's a risk. I don't know where this road's going to take me. But uh, if the company 
is basically telling me I'm going to be fired if I want to continue being a wrestler. Let me see what this other option is. Um, and that's, that, that's how it came to an end. Let me take you off on a side note here because you mentioned it and I know you very well and I know how important it is to you is your faith and you're, you're very proud about that. And this isn't exactly an easy world to maintain that sort of mindset and, and you know, keep, keep your, your mind pure as you, as you strive to do. Uh, what do you credit it to? How, how do you deal with even just the day to day? I mean, this is, this is like being in the circus and yeah. you, you never wavered and, and I'm not a, a religious person myself, but I know how, how important it is to you and how, how you bring that to, you know, you carry that with you all the time. It's really just taking a step back and appreciating life. How many times have you heard people say life is short? You got to take advantage. But I, I really take that to heart. You know, I, I think to myself, what kind of impression would I leave on the world if, heaven forbid, I died tomorrow? What kind of impression am I leaving on the business if something happened and they're like, hey, see you, bye. Thank you for your service. Go do something mm -hmm. else. And so I try to soak in every moment. I call them chapters. You know, I believe everyone on this earth, whether it's this industry or any walk of life, we're all writing our own story. We're all writing our own book. And that book has so many chapters, you know, that one chapter might be high school. One chapter might be a relationship. One chapter might be a, a successful job, whatever it is. But enjoy that chapter. Like so much, especially again, in our world, guys are always thinking, what's next? Man, all right, I'm in developmental. When am I going to get to the main roster? Okay, uh, I'm on this show. How am I going to get to SummerSlam? How am I going to get to WrestleMania? It's like guys and girls a lot of times don't take the time to stop and smell the roses and, and appreciate your path and appreciate your story as opposed to comparing it to this guy. Or, well, I want to be in their spot. I want to do what they're doing. Look, you are paving your own way. Enjoy it. And so that's what I try to apply. And it's, it's not always easy, but I try to apply that to my own life. I, I get up every morning. Uh, I thank God for blessing me with another day. And I, and I ask him for the strength to just be a positive impact on people. Sometimes I succeed. Sometimes I fail. I'm human. But um, I, I, I just try to take this blessing of a job, which, I mean, how many people can say they're actually living their, their dream? Right. Like something they aspire to do as a kid and they actually get to make a living doing it. But that's the coolest thing to me. And if they said... Hey, you're done tomorrow? Fine. I've had an awesome time. This has yeah. been an awesome ride for me. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I guess I don't fear the future, you know? Um, like the last dance documentary that everybody's been raving about, you know, on Michael Jordan. And I remember one of the quotes he made was basically, how can you be afraid of a shot that you've never taken? So for me, it's like, how can I be afraid of tomorrow when I don't know what tomorrow holds? Yeah. I might as well just enjoy what I have today. And so that's how I try to keep myself level-headed. And that's how I've tried to do it at every level of my career here. That's, that's an awesome mentality to have. And I'm envious of you at times for, for your ability to maintain it. So, <laughs> so kudos for that. So from not fearing the future back to your past slightly, when we were in this transitional period where you're trying to find your legs and figure out what your new role within WWE is, I want to talk to you about someone who's very important to both of us, that being the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And I know I was blessed enough to spend significant time with him after I was hurt. You, when I first got to, to FCW in the early days of NXT, you were kind of Dusty's right-hand man. Yeah. Um, so at the time when they, when they said to me, uh, hey, your wrestling career is ending, you're going to be doing something behind the scenes. I didn't exactly know what that meant <laughs> until I, I walked in the office that day and I found out I'm basically going to be Dusty's assistant. And that goes back to just the unexpected, like, my gosh, what an opportunity to sit under the learning tree of one of the most creative and influential individuals that our industry has ever seen. Right. And, uh, you know, sitting uh, 
you know, next to him every morning um, as he planned out promo class, being able to help teach promo class with him, help uh, with character development, actually uh, getting to sit down with talent and, and help them come up with names, come up with entrances. I remember at one point, I don't know if you recall, it was me, you and Terry Taylor going over your entrance. Yeah. Back yeah. in NXT. So just, just having the chance to, again, learn a different aspect of this business and apply some creative juices was awesome. And, and Dusty himself, my gosh, he, he saved my job. I mean, yeah. there was, there was a time in FCW where I know for a fact it was basically me or someone else that was going to go. And I know that Dusty spoke up for me to, to keep me around. So I'm forever in debt to, to what he's done for me. Um, and just, just as a human being, he had an innate ability to just lift you up, you know, to tap, to tap into who you are, right? You know, not, Hey, go be like stone cold, go be like the rock. No, who is Corey Graves? You know, who's Byron Saxton? Who's that guy on the inside? How can we accentuate that? Mm -hmm. He was so good at that. And he was, he was, that's why anyone you'll ask you, me, anyone will speak so fondly of Dusty Rhodes because uh, he's, he's a, he was a legend, but he was as, just as much a legend behind the scenes. I'll echo your sentiments hundred percent. If it weren't for having Dusty by my side during my transitional period, you know, into commentary and even before commentary, when I didn't know what I was going to do, Dusty was the one that said, Hey, you're coming with me. And we'd sit in his office all day. And half the time we were watching Garth Brooks concerts and, and barbecue, <laughs> but it was refreshing to me. And it kind of opened another door in my brain that I didn't even think existed because I, I was always much like you can relate was looking at it as a competitor. How do I get to be, intercontinental champion? What's going to get me on TV and make me a fortune? And then spending all that time with Dusty, it kind of opened my mind to, man, there's so much more to this business that we don't think about. And mm -hmm. nor should the, the competitors have to think about at the time. They have their role, but this is such a crazy creative business. And to have Dusty just throw you a breadcrumb every now and then that would just blow your mind. There yeah. were so many times, and I'm sure you've had twice as many, where you're sitting there with him and he would say <laughs> something so simple and it was profound. And you just went, oh, my God, how did I not think of that? And it was yeah. just dusty being dusty. Was, and, and, of course, all the stories. I remember I, you probably remember the story about Babe Ruth where he. Oh, yeah. He walked into the bar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, long winded story about how he walks into the bar and Babe Ruth is sitting there and he's so vivid with his descriptions. And the way Dusty sells it, you like you can't help but believe it. I remember him telling the story. It was before promo class. And I'm sitting there trying to do math in my mind going, when did Babe Ruth die? How old is Dusty? I don't think. Maybe. And you just start questioning because he was such a masterful storyteller that uh -huh. you were going, he couldn't have made that up. Yeah. It came from somewhere. And then he, then he gets, gives you that little, you see that glint in his eye and that little smirk. And you went, oh, he was working the whole time. Yeah. One of my most enjoyable moments with Dusty uh because he, you know, obviously he was an outside the box thinker, as you mentioned. Um, you know, he had us do karaoke. Remember, he had us oh, do yes. karaoke contest down there. At one point, uh, he also had me produce these plays. Um, oh, I recall the plays. <laughs> so basically, we would take, you know, whatever talent we had on there, and I would take a movie like, say, Coming to America, for instance, and create an, an adaptation and do an actual Broadway type you know, play using our talent. And I would have auditions, like whoever wanted to sign up. But I remember we did, uh, we did coming to America and the role of Akeem was given to Paige. <laughs> Cause she, she was Likely. the one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you see the correlation. Uh, but, but she was the one coming over from Norwich, England to America uh, to find her husband. 
And uh, Derek Moore, one of our referees, was her father. And he, was, he was the Lord Mayor of Norwich, England. <laughs> and gave her a $100 debit card to fly to America and fight her husband. Oh, my God. But it was so outside the box and it was so different, but it gave so many of our young talent who are now staples of our roster a chance to just try something new and step outside of their comfort zone. And to that same point, we all looked at it and said, this is absurd. What does this have to do with wrestling? Now, looking back all those years, it had a lot to do with sports entertainment because Dusty would throw us in unusual situations that you would never expect to find yourself in. And you had to figure it out. Much like now, it happens every week on Raw or SmackDown or even NXT still. Something completely unusual, weird, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but different. And it's not going in there and locking up and doing man in the middle drills. It's karaoke, as we just (laughs) saw on SmackDown. Um, And and Dusty, he was a forward thinker in in that manner. He saw the big picture. And I think so many of our superstars now can benefit if they do take that step back and look at the big picture. Not so much, okay, why am I doing this now? But what can I do to use this to benefit me in the future? Right, right. It may not make sense now, but I can use the creativity or, or, or the discomfort, whatever it is, from what I'm being asked to do this week on Raw or SmackDown and save that in my back pocket for something bigger down the sure, road. Sure, sure. Well, let me ask you this. In the time you were working with Dusty and even beyond and into the creative sort of role, who were some people uh, that you helped along the way that, that you're proud of or that you put a particular stamp on. I, I live with one. She still tells me about it all, all the time. Uh, <laughs> the role that you played in developing Carmela. Uh, but what, who were some others that you, you had your hands in? Oh man. Um, I know we spent a lot of time uh, working with Sasha, trying to get her outside of her comfort zone. Cause when she came in, you know, super talented, you knew there was potential there, but she was extremely shy. Right. It's funny to think about that. The person yeah. that she is now versus when we all met her, I mean, a complete 180. She was uh-huh. she was like a shy little child that didn't, to the point where a lot of us thought she had this ego problem. <laughs> and meanwhile, she was just like uncomfortably shy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and it's, it's, it's sort of like uh, you almost have that parental feeling when you, when you see someone like her come in and then see what she's become, which is essentially one of the trailblazers in the women's division. Sure. Um, the last couple of years. Uh, Charlotte's another example of someone who came in with so much pressure. The first day she walked in, again, I, you would see people alienate her because her last name was Flair. Oh, she got here because of her dad. She got here because of that legacy. But she had to work her butt off. And that's someone else who, like, the Charlotte Flair, the queen today, was not the queen, you know, back then. Absolutely. I mean, she was struggling to figure out who she was. And bam, it just, you know, skyrocketed from there. Angela Dawkins, Street Profits. Yeah. When he came in, <laughs> I'll never forget. Uh, tremendous athlete, tremendous amateur background, collegiate uh, athletic background. And you remember when we had like the old FCW programs and we'd have to do sure do. Alfred and... <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, Angela, he didn't know any better. But everyone's in their wrestling gear. They're taking their promo shots. Dude shows up in basketball shorts and a t-shirt. And uh-huh. no one's smarting him up. Right. So next thing you know, I'm looking at this FCW program. I'm like, dude, what, what, what is this? Why are you wearing gym shorts? You are representing WWE. He's like, man, I don't know, man. They just said, take a picture, man. You know, he was on the show a few months back and he, he brought up that same story. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's hard to believe, but I guess I was one of the guys that was on his 
pretty hard about what are really? you doing, man? <laughs> really? <laughs> I never would have seen that. Yeah. But I guess he had the last lap because what is he wearing now on television every yeah. week? Basketball yeah. shorts. How ironic. Right. <laughs> but he's another guy who uh, he would he would do a promo. I remember <laughs> he would do a promo that'd be like a minute long. Usually it was, you know, a minute long promo was our standard uh, in promo class back then. And he'd get halfway through and just forget what he was saying. And he would just <laughs> give you a thumbs up. And, uh, I don't know, man. Or like one, one week, I'm like, what happened, man? What, why'd you forget your promo? Man, I was up late. Watching the NBA finals last night, man, watching LeBron. <laughs> yeah. I memorized my promo. But again, now, I mean, here he is, one of the most entertaining tandems with him and uh, Montez Ford every week. So those are a couple examples of um, just really raw talents that came into the system who blossomed, who are now cornerstones of, of WWE. Yeah, well, shout out to Dawkins. I know he listens to ATB uh, on becoming a father. So yes. man, that, doesn't, that doesn't straighten him out. Yeah. Nothing will. So <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah. No, but no. I, I want to get back to you stepping into the commentary booth. Now, how, how did that next step happen? Because you were working as Dusty's assistant. I remember you were doing commentary at FCW. How did it parlay into to main roster uh, success? Well, we'll have to take a step back on that one because, yes, I was doing commentary in FCW. I was, I was wrestling. I was managing. I was ring announcing. I was, doing, I was wearing a bunch of hats. And uh, I came in to developmental. I got signed in September of 2007. I think it was October of 2009. I got called up to ECW. Ah, that's right. That's right. I completely skipped over that. I knew that. Yeah. Continue. Which, yeah, when ECW was on the Sci-Fi Network. And uh, I, I came in, did that show, and it only lasted for two and a half months, maybe, before they transitioned to the original version of NXT, which was the game show format. Right. So at the time... Shocker, I, the zombie didn't work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's a personal favorite of mine. Uh, reminds me of Haunted Houses, which I love thoroughly. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> from ECW transitioned into NXT. And at the time, like I was taken out of developmental. I was told you're called up. They changed my contract, gave me a raise, like everything. I was, I was, I was still going to developmental, yeah. still yeah. going to training. But on paper, I didn't have to be there. So then I was told, hey, we're transitioning to this new show called NXT. You're going to be one of the co-hosts. I was like, okay, cool. Like different role, fine. Well, then the day of, literally, I'm in the hotel. Uh, the day that we're going to do NXT. And then I'm called and told, ah, change of plans. You're not going to do NXT. You're going back to developmental. So uh, went back to developmental. They put me back on developmental contract, which, mean, which meant a significant pay deduction. Uh, and, and back to training every day. Wow. Then from there, uh, a year or so later was season four of NXT, which I was brought up as a wrestler. Uh, so we did that season. I got eliminated. We came back. We did like a redemption season. Got eliminated off that. I'm used to getting eliminated, so, so no worries. All the way back to top <laughs> <laughs> It's a recurring theme. Hey, someone's got to stare at the lights, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, so went back down uh, to which I never left FCW. So when I say go back down, it just meant go back down from the from the main. You just roster. didn't have to go to the airport that week. <laughs> exactly. That's all it was. That's exactly. Um, so uh, from there, uh, when I was working behind the scenes, I was still doing commentary on NXT, and then I shifted over to doing ring announcing on NXT as well. And then I started uh, kind of. I was able to talk to the right people to get some fill in spots on live events on the road to be okay. a ring announcer. Uh, and then just doing that transitioned into, hey, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to come back on the road as a, as a commentator. I think this was back in, I want to say 2014, 2015. 
And um, I came up, I started doing stuff on the, uh, on the WWE app with, uh, oh, Tom, yeah. Yeah, with Tom Phillips. And then we started doing uh, uh, main event and then that transitioned into SmackDown and then it's been rolling ever since. What, if anything, do you credit to developing your skills as a commentator and your personality? There's a couple things. I've picked up bits and pieces along the way. Like Dusty would always say, just be yourself, baby. Just be yourself. And you don't always get what that means when you hear it. And, you know, working with Michael Cole, I mean, he's, he's been a godsend on, on my career as well. Just uh, the advice he's given me and, and the encouragement. And I think, and just, you know, working with guys like you, working with guys uh, like JBL, who obviously pull no punches. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, so you're kind of, you're, you know, it's, it's kind of trial by fire. And I, for a brief time, you know, it was either play by play or doing color commentary or, you know, uh, being more on the edgier side, the heel side or whatever, and just kind of figuring out where I fit in how I can incorporate my normal personality into that. And, and I think obviously anybody listening to, to you on this podcast right now is going to go, oh, wow, Byron's actually a really intelligent guy and probably this, <laughs> this different outlook because of what you portray. And it helps me, it, it, but it is part of you. You're, you're a happy-go-lucky, goofy kind of guy. That's your, that's your sense of humor. That's why we mesh so well. We have so much fun sitting in the, in the video game booth doing voiceovers or whatever because you give me something to play off of. And I feel like oftentimes you are so good. And it's like this in comedy. When you have a comedy duo, you set yourself up, man. And you just throw me this high lob and it becomes graves. If you don't hit this out of the park, what, why wait on the, on the field? Yeah. You know? Well, sometimes, yeah. So I, sometimes I just say things. I, I know you're going to hit me with something and I don't even realize it. Like I'll, I remember we were doing two five live, uh, couple months ago and i'm like yeah now it's time for singles action you're like yeah story of your life huh saxton (laughs) 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 but but that's that's how i'm conditioned when it when it's you and 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 it's on the air it's it's the odd couple it's you know yin and yang and and, but that's why i want i was excited to have you on this podcast because it's like wait a minute no byron's one of my favorite people in the in the business like and but people obviously don't realize that on nor should they if they're just watching Raw or SmackDown. You and I are gonna hate each other, and that's okay <laughs> on television. Yeah. Ordinarily, I'd invite you out for a beer, but you usually are out doing one of your weird food routines, which I need to address. I promise not to humiliate you too badly. But Byron, let's be honest: you have the strangest eating habits of anybody on the planet Earth. I don't see that as truth at all. I mean, I eat seven times a day. I have a high protein diet. I adjust my carbohydrate intake. I watch my fats and my calories. What's weird about that? When you say it like that, it sounds very, very reasonable and normal. See? So I'm, I guess I guess this is going to backfire yeah. because this is an audio podcast. And Maybe you have the problem, sir. <laughs> Not me. I'm the normal one. In fact, right now, I'm sipping on a turmeric and cayenne ginger shot. Oh, that sounds delectable. It'll boost my immune system. you're out of control while we're back we're talking commentary what are some of your favorite moments that you've been a part of as a commentator uh in wwe oh man uh kofi mania um that was that was something that hit home for me because uh that shot's now getting to me ah see i'll teach you (laughs) to drink healthy drinks (laughs) but uh kofi was one of the guys who was there in the beginning when i started with fcw and, um, you know, it was him. You had uh, Natalia, uh, Tyson Kidd, Sheamus, so many guys who have just been staples of, of, of today's WWE. But Kofi was one of those guys. I remember 
uh, Dr. Tom had asked him, hey, can you work out with this kid a little bit, teach him some things? I just remember him being so gracious and so humble and so giving with his knowledge. And the cool thing for me is that, you know, here we are 13 years later and Kofi is still that guy. Like he, he hasn't changed. I mean, he is just as humble and kind, as warm hearted as he was the first day I met him, you know? And so to, to see someone like that, who's been around so long, who's worked so hard and to finally get his just due and to see the crowd like right there with him every step of the way, there are two times that I've cried <laughs> in wrestling. The first time was when Ultimate Warrior beat Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania six. I was, I was absolutely heartbroken. The second time was when Kofi won the WWE championship because he broke down a barrier. He, he, no one looked at him and said, that guy's going to be a world champion. And he defied those odds. He showed people, if you put in the work, if you don't stop pushing, you can reach the top and to see that story happen and to see how everybody was so emotionally moved by that just brought tears to my eyes. So that will forever be like, just I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about it. I am too, because I remember your call when that happened. I remember sitting at the desk and and you just went off, like you just opened your mouth and the stuff that came out was so appropriate, almost poetic and real because that was, that was coming from your heart. And I remember after that happened, I think Cole came over and transitioned because it was at Mania. We were doing the, the table switch and I was like, did you hear Byron? And he's like, no, I didn't hear what he said. I was like, you got to listen to that. Like, I, in my opinion, as long as I've worked with you, at least, that was the best call of your career. And what a, what a fitting moment, the, the WWE Championship at WrestleMania, because it was just, you could tell you were feeling that, man. And, and that, that sticks, like you, you telling the story gave me goosebumps again, which <laughs> that just speaks, you know, to, to how impactful it was. So congratulations on that, you know, two years late, but. No, thank you. <laughs> uh, so, yes. so what else? What, what else are some of your, your favorite moments? I, I, I'm trying to not so subtly hint at the uh, moment that just occurred not too long ago. You'd be taking part in a beer bash, of course. Yes. Yeah, so I was going to mention something else before that. But go for it. Um, so let's, before we get to the, the beer bash, uh, I'm going to go back to, I want to say it was 2015, uh, the night after WrestleMania in Santa Clara, uh, okay. California. This was raw in San Jose. And, uh, it was a night that, uh, Brock Lesnar had basically taken out the entire announce team. Oh yes. 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 <laughs> yes. I remember this. This is the first time in my career that my name, Corey Gray has ever trended. <laughs> <laughs> so I won't say that's one of my, this isn't one of my favorite moments, but it's memorable. Yes, please. Because I, I remember finding out, Hey, uh, so, you know, Announce team's going to be gone. It's going to be you and King going out there on Raw. So I'm like, okay, that's already nerve-wracking in itself because I have not done play-by-play on WWE television before. But I'm going out there with King. I'm like, uh, hopefully it works out. Well, then I'm in Gorilla getting ready to go out, and I find out, oh, no, 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 no. King's coming out later. You're going out there by yourself for like the first two or three <laughs> matches. Bro, that a serious butt-puckering moment for me. I'm like, What? <laughs> So I'm going out there and like, I start, you know, running down to the ring. And of course we have like the fans from all over the world, the WWE universe, like, you know, they're all pumped up and rowdy. So they see me come down the aisle and all of a sudden I hear a Byron Saxton. 
And now I'm like, okay, I'm feeling myself. Yeah, <laughs> I can do this. I'm over, man. <laughs> they love me. Well, that, that's where it stops. Yeah. So, <laughs> they didn't have to hear you. No, no, they didn't have to, that's, that's the point. So I remember uh, we were in a commercial break and the crews were trying to flip the table back over so I could sit down and I couldn't get it in time. And that was just a precursor of things to come. So uh, the producer's like, all right, just, just let, we got to come back. Just leave the table as it is. So I come back, welcome everybody to raw, you know, obviously the announce team's destroyed. It's just me. And I remember specifically at one point calling a match out there and because the table was still kind of lodged over on the side, the monitor was stuck in the table. And so I had to sit Indian style on the floor and look up at the monitor and call the match. And at that point it hit me. Why in the world am I out here in the fetal position on the biggest Raw of the year, <laughs> calling this show by myself. What is wrong with the world? <laughs> and that was only the beginning. I mean, obviously, like you said, your name was trending. I, I typically don't, you know, I'll check Twitter and all that stuff. And I'm like, kind of whatever. I take it with a grain of salt. I don't, I don't stress it. Sometimes I don't look right. at it at all. And I just, ah, Byron sucks. We hate Byron. It got so bad to the point that I went home. And my mom walks in the room who can't even, she can barely turn on her iPhone. She says to me, oh, I heard you got in trouble at work for, for what you did at Raw. I'm like, how did you hear about this? <laughs> what, what is going on here? So it was like, I'm not going to lie. It was tough. It wasn't the best performance of my life. I can admit that. I was nervous. I, I wasn't sure what I was doing. I, I wasn't ready for that. In your that defense, time. you also weren't doing your job. You weren't playing your role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Michael Cole's got some pretty damn big shoes to feel. Yeah. So, so um, I just remember like, you feel like the smallest person in the world because you're just getting all this hate. And, you know, they always say during the tough times, you find out who your friends are, who your true friends are. And it's like, you know, of course you had a couple people who might reach out, but by and large, you feel pretty alone yeah. because now you're just, you know, getting all the vitriol and disdain from the world. And you're like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to screw up. But I'll, you know what? I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change that moment for the world because I can still say that I went out there and called Monday Night Raw by myself in the fetal position. And I'm not sure anybody else can say that, right? <laughs> That's it. That's a title solely possessed by Saxton. Yeah. I, but I, I do want I do want to hear real quick about uh, 316 uh, Day. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> I guess, you know, what we've seen during this pandemic is obviously we've all had to adjust. Um, our superstars, our commentary, our production team, we've all had to kind of adjust how we present our product. And so 316 Day, Stone Cold Steve Austin, um, a special guest. And then next thing you know, I find out I'm actually going to be involved in a segment with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yet another butt puckering moment for me <laughs> in my career. Uh, so I'm like, oh, and uh, you're quite possibly could receive a Stone Cold Stunner. So the fan of me is like, Ooh, I'm ready for this. And the other side of you is like, oh my gosh, I don't know if this is going to go well, whatever, screw this up. And right. on top of that, the most, the thing I was most concerned about was I don't drink, you know? <laughs> so I, the last time I had a beer was when I was five years old. <laughs> but that's, that's another story well, for another podcast. <laughs> I might have to bring you back for part two to get into that one. But uh, yeah, long story. But anyway, uh, so, you know, I'm going in there. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to drink beer. Like, what if, what if I, what if I get drunk? What if I collapse? Like, I, 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 I was freaking out. How am I going to do this? So we're like, we're, we're guzzling the beer. And I don't, again, for someone who doesn't sit beer and not have to guzzle it. Like, I don't know how to do that. So I'm hoping I don't like start choking on the air. Like all these thoughts are going through my head. 
So, so if you hung like, out with me more, you'd, you'd be a pro. Yeah, I guess so. There's a benefit. <laughs> um, so it's like tripping all over the place. All of a sudden, boom, there's a stunner. Bam. And then, uh, of course, if you watch back the video, you'll see that the initial kick was a little low into the discos. I remember I just I got the kick, got the stunner, and I'm laying there. Stone Cold comes by, ah, sorry, kid. You know, he <laughs> proceeds to drink some more. But that, see, everyone's like, oh, my God, Saxon got hit there, which hurt. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was when Raw went off the air. And, like, I, I think I had a total of, like, three or four stunners between Stone Cold and Becky Lynch. And a couple happened off air. And at one point, you know, Stone Cold's catching more beer cans. Well, I'm laying in the center of the ring. He misses the beer can and boom, gets me right in the face. <laughs> so I'm like, that was the worst part of it all. Cause I ended up having a black eye afterwards. Oh, that's so amazing. I kind of like gingerly kind of turned my body over. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool, <laughs> but it hurts so bad. <laughs> and then afterwards, of course my suit is like drenched. It smells like beer. And I, and I call my mom cause I was, my mom always watches the show. So we always talk afterwards. And she's like, you better not drive home. <laughs> if you get if you get pulled over and you, your suit smells like alcohol, they're not going to let you go. <laughs> all the sacks got you back yeah, all the yeah. time, man. To this day, I still have that suit. And uh, there's still like, I'll never wear it again because it's all stained up. But I'll tell you what, man, that is definitely uh, such an honor. It was such an honor just to be in that position and to share the ring with Stone Cold. And I, gosh, the 15-year-old the me was like, no way this is happening. Well, very, very cool, man. Well, here's to many, many more moments uh, from behind the commentary table or in the ring, whatever it may be. Before I let you go, just want to give you a, a, a share of memory with you because you mentioned WrestleMania in Santa Clarita. You and I had done the kickoff show all day, the day yeah. of WrestleMania. And as many wacky experiences as we all get to have in this business, one of my favorite moments was after we were done for the day, you and I sitting at the very top of the stadium looking down during Sting versus Triple H. Yes. And here comes DX, and here comes the NWO, and you and I all of a sudden became 12 years old again. <laughs> and without saying a word, we had a full-blown conversation, just a turn of the head, smiling ear to ear, and it was like, this is cool. Yes. So, and I think about that all the time. And I'm like, man, it, it, when, when as much as things get, can get you down and there's plenty of reasons to, to get upset or bummed out, it's moments like that where it's like, man, we're living our dream. It is. I, I specifically remember that. And I still have video from that moment where I, I took out my cell phone. Like, I have to capture this because this is, this is so remarkable. But yeah, and that's, you know, as, as different as we are as human beings, we have that in common, which is our undeterred love of, of this business. And, right you know, we, we've both taken roads that were a little unpredictable, a little unforeseen, but I mean, you're, I mean, look, at, I mean, you've done an incredible job. You were, you were dealt this hand of, Hey, you're not wrestling anymore. You're doing commentary and you have beyond excelled in that role. Now you've got your own podcast and, and you're just continuing to build your brand. And, you know, I've, again, getting to experience different moments. So it's just kind of awesome to see, you know, two guys with a dream and, and seeing kind of where our lives have taken us. Amen. Well, don't, don't gush too much. I don't want people getting the wrong impression that we're like, I could, I, I mean, I could for like another 30 minutes. I'm going to cut you off right now. No more. I appreciate it. Saxon save some for next time. Cause I want to know about this five-year-old beer drinking experience, but I'll save you a, I'll save you a tumor cayenne and ginger shot too. You, you can finish the rest of that one. I'll get you on the next round. All right. All right, Byron. Thanks dude. Cheers. Well, we've reached that point in the week where I am completely out of time. I hope Byron didn't bore you to death. I rather enjoyed it. After all, this is about entertaining myself, not you. 
But I'll leave you with a little zen before I go. This comes from Confucius. It doesn't get much bigger or better than him. Education breeds confidence. Confidence breeds hope. Hope breeds peace. There's some zen for you. I'm full of it. Thank you one more time to Byron Saxton. Follow at After the Bell WWE on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and send us your thoughts using the hashtag After the Bell. I say this every week, but if you're using Apple Podcasts and you haven't left me a review, please throw five stars my way. It helps spread the word. If you're using an Android, follow ATB on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or Google Podcasts and never miss an episode. That means you can go back and watch the old episodes or listen to the old episodes too. Those are pretty fun. Follow me at WWE Graves should you be so inclined, and I will be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, less Saxton, and more WWE after the bell. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future. Helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3.